Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining the Behind Company Lines podcast. Today we have Kira Potekin, co-founder and CTO of Adapti. Adapti is a revenue management platform for all applications. Kira is so excited to chat with you and, and not only get to know you a little bit more and, and share your story with our audience, but also really get dive into the cool things you're doing at Adapti, where I think a lot of companies or individuals may think they know or have an, an idea of how to kind of source revenue from applications that they're building, especially if they have a huge user base. But it's a challenge to really find the right model that, that not only adds value to the users, but also helps them, it helps the company kind of grow and expand the application, grow and expand its revenue as well. So I'm excited to, to dive into how you're helping companies do that and solve that problem. But before we get into what you're doing at Adapti, what were you doing before you started the company? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Me and my friend Vitaly, one of the like, other founders of Adapsi, we was developing a mobile app called Easy10. And it was like for five years after uh, finishing the college. Well, it was like during the final year of the college, actually. And uh, we grow it to several millions of like revenue per year. So it was quite successful. And then we faced some challenges like growing it even more especially when we were like dealing with in-app subscription as well. It was quite new at the time. And so we developed a system to kind of run A-B tests effectively and analyze at like ads from Facebook and the different platforms in conjunction. And this is how the idea of Adapti was born. It was like several years ago. But back then we decided that yeah. we'd like to experiment like a little bit with different AI things. And we started our own agency that was focused on different AI implementation, mostly chatbots before like chat GPC was a big hit. And yeah, then we just accumulated the money that we earned over the years and decided to start Adapsi the way we visualized it like from the start. Yeah. It's so exciting to think about kind of that, that it, when you experimented with the previous company, you kind of stumbled upon this idea of, of experimenting with other applications and revenue models. And what in particular did you see at that time when you were building this, uh, I guess, it's almost like an insight engine to identify what the best way to charge your, your subscription or, or your audience. What were some ways that you saw were useful in terms of gaining more traction, what kind of revenue models for the app were actually successful? What did you find out along the journey while you were kind of developing that, that kind of insight? Yeah, sure. So back when we started implementing an app subscriptions into Easy10, it was quite new. So we were like one of the first steps to do that. And we faced lots of technical difficulties, obviously, both on iOS and Android side. But uh, overall, like the market was pretty free, not so much, like not so many competitors back then. So starting like to become profitable was not really a problem for us. The problem was like when we started to scale, it was, we started to buy like paid traffic from Facebook and later on from Instagram and some other platforms. And it was very difficult to figure out which like ad networks, which sources work well and which do not. So it's called attribution world. So that was like the biggest problem. And for us, it was like the break, the breakthrough. Then we finally realized how to connect the data from Facebook, for example, with the data in our app, like the revenue. So this is when we started to kind of run weekly different ad campaigns. And this allowed us to kind of analyze them efficiently in terms of return on investment and uh, some other metrics. 
And that's how this like idea of Adaptive was born. So basically connect data from the different sources and put it in one place and make it easier for developers. Yeah. And how are those necessarily, I guess, tracked mechanically? Is it some type of landing page that, or some particular page that funnels into where you're, you're seeing the interest grow from your audience? What, what in particular enables you to track and also identify the, the, I guess, the channels that are more successful for your app? Yeah. So before iOS 14.5, it was rather easy because there was a thing called IDFA, probably like lots of you heard about it. So this was like a universal identifier of your device that like yeah. Apple and Google, they would allow developers to access this information. And then when you retrieve the data from Facebook, for example, it was easy to measure. But a couple of years ago, things changed drastically in the like mobile world because Apple basically restricted access to IDFA. It's technically still possible, but very limited. And right now you'll have to do like much more things to make this snapshot of the customer who installed the app and to figure out who, like what source did he came from. So right now we use several different like internal tools to do that. And we also partner with some bigger services like Adjust or AppSlayer to do that. But yeah, in general, that's how it works. Yeah. And how have transactions changed in terms of how customers are able to purchase in-app and, and for companies to really identify whether it's a, a subscription model or identify whether it's a, a feature limitation model in, term, in terms of whether people can earn the value of that application to pay and things like that. Have transactions changed in terms of implementing them within the application on the phone or, or within a certain service or making sure that you can kind of transact in different areas? How have transactions changed and in, in kind of progressed over time? Well, I, I mean, we currently work only with mobile applications, just like for clarification. And here we see like good growth every year. So sometimes it's going to be like 20%. Sometimes it could be even more especially then COVID like started several years ago, we saw a huge bump of in transactions, but overall we just see that much more application rely on subscription model right now. Usually it doesn't mean that the customers cannot use the application without subscription. So there is most of the time there is a freemium functions that are available for use, but like to get to reset the limits or like find some additional features they have to pay for subscription. And there's also like some cases, especially in utilities where you can just purchase one time, also called lifetime access to the app. It's also popular among some utilities, but like utilities have like, I don't know, like complications for Apple watch or something similar, but most of the time it's going to be after renewable subscriptions because, well, it's just much more profitable for the developers and they want to earn the money. So that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Is it easier to maintain kind of an application that is on a subscription model if you have kind of that recurring revenue or is, or there's some challenges with, with certain models of kind of how you're charging your, your subscriber and, and have you seen any consistent success with one particular model? Well, I, I mean, as I said, the, the most common and the most profitable and in many cases would be just this renewable subscription model. Most of the time you have to provide something 
new so new during the subscription period so like the good case could be if you developing for example fitness application or dietary application you would provide a new content content for a customer every day but sometimes it's also possible to do it like when you provide access to the services like chat gpt or something similar in mobile this is also a good scenario where you can like leverage in-app subscription renewable one but if you provide just like one one-off solution for something then it could be better to just go with lifetime purchase because this allows your customers like not to worry about renewing it all the time when they only need it like once or several times per year for example yeah yeah and in thinking about just like how applications are typically built is is there anything that you know is broken in the model in in regards to i think for mo- most apps right if it's the freemium model maybe it's a trial period in a certain amount of days or if it feature locking is a certain amount of feature sets, maybe it's access to more activity in the app or more things that you can do with more functions. Is there anything that, that you see in terms of what's kind of common practice that you think can be improved in terms of how people are building apps and, and then charging their customers? Yeah, I, I guess there are several things. Like the biggest thing that can be improved actually is subscription management itself, which is currently controlled by Apple and Google and the customers, I mean, developers, they, they do not have like really control over it. So for example, if the customer asks for a refund or subscription cancellation, developers cannot do it on Apple and there are some like workarounds on Google, but it's still like not really convenient. And we see like a lot that complaints from the customers saying that, why don't you allow us to cancel a subscription or make a refund? And uh, this is something that could be improved, obviously, but developers do not have access to it right now. Apart from that, yeah, I guess since introduction of the trial periods, this was a huge boom for subscriptions because now you can give your customer like digging into the, like all the features that you provide in there for a three days or for a seven days, you know, like these are the most common uh, length for the trial and this greatly kind of increased conversion from install to the paying customer because before you had to kind of make a leap of faith when you were subscribing and currently you just activate the trial. You can try the features yourself and then decide whether it works for you or not. So I guess that's that was a big improvement. And yeah, my advice here is to always try to use, like in your product, use the free trial. It could be free or seven days, as I said before. You can actually compare it to subscriptions without trial as well, but to our data, uh, subscriptions with trials in general work much better than those without it. Yeah. And in, in regards to most applications, what would you say is some of the, one of the biggest challenges? Is it acquiring new customers or users? Is it retaining those users? What do most apps and most developers kind of think about day to day? Is it the acquisition part or is it the retention part? I guess acquisition is more complicated. I mean, it's, uh, there are a lot of information, really good information on how to build like the good product and specifically applications, but there's not so much good information on how to acquire the customers, how to do marketing, how to do sales sometimes. And this part is definitely a trickier. Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about kind of app development is. How much do you think companies are missing out in terms of their revenue 
with incorrect revenue models or, or just, I guess, revenue models that, that they've tested and, and maybe aren't maximizing the amount of value that they're getting and the amount of value that consumers are seeking out. I don't know if you have a number or anything like that, but yeah, I guess what yeah. would be your best guess for how many apps are not doing or, or not maximizing the revenue models? Yeah, well, there's no like concrete number here, that's for sure. But like wild assumption would be that I guess more than 50% of the apps, like most likely they could earn like at least 20% more because uh, that's what we see from like our experience. After uh, like uh, starting working with our platform, we provide A-B tests, we provide some extensive analytics, and we have lots of cases where within two to six months, the revenue increased like from 20 and sometimes to 300% just by running lots of A-B tests and uh, figuring out the right like products and not, not only products, but also like the time when you show this paywall, it's like the screen yeah. where you can start this subscription. So lots of criteria there and the best case, I mean, the best answer to it is just to run as many tests as you can, because like, you never know what will work in your case. There are some best practices, obviously, but still like getting the right price, getting the right moment to show the paywall is pretty unique to every app. And so you, you have to test it. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more for the audience, give a little bit more context. How many users do you have working on the application? How many apps do you have on the platform now? Give us a little bit of insight into the traction that you've seen up to this point, and then what you're pretty excited about in terms of the next phase of growth for uh, Apti. Uh, yes. So currently we have just over 3000 uh, applications on our platform. Those are applications of like, well, not all sizes, but like many sizes. Some of them, they don't have pretty much any revenue at the moment at all. Some earn like millions of, dollar, of dollars per month. So like really different scenarios here. And we grew a lot during last year because like we introduced uh, several full features and we expect to continue to do it. We just released revenue and LTV prediction, which, which will be kind of a huge difference because before that you had to, you, you had to wait for like from one month to three months in order to understand whether your like acquisition was successful or not. And currently we can like predict with a 90% accuracy after three weeks, what would be your 12 or nine months outcome, like in terms of the revenue. And we already seen like a good numbers there. So yeah, we expect to kind of get much more applications as we grow. But uh, overall, yeah, the market is big. It's still like, it's obviously not in the like early stage. So there, there are lots of competitors there, but if you do the right product and if you know how to acquire customers, if you know how to do marketing, this is like a really cool market to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I guess whether it's external or internal, what are some of the biggest risks that you think Adapti faces today? Yeah, I guess. So talking about risk, I get the biggest risks that we are, well, not facing, but we just think about them from time to time is still, uh, since we are pretty uh, committed to the Apple and Google infrastructure, it's uh, if they'd like to change something. And so, so, for example, at some point they may come up with ideas that uh, they do not allow like third-party services to manage yeah. in-app subscriptions. This will be obviously a blowout for us. But we think it's not really like, it's not likely that will, this will happen. 
And we actually see some pretty good opportunities in like recent months and the years that both Apple and Google, they are under pressure to make payments more kind of transparent right now, because currently they manage it and you have to pay commission from 15 to 30% of your like revenue to Apple or Google and different like government agencies right now, they try to uh, like make things work differently. And so if this happens, if third party payment systems will be allowed on App Store or Play Store, this will be a big opportunity for us because then we'll have like all the tools and we'll be ready to serve new customers. Yeah. If everything goes well, what's the long-term vision for Adapti? The long term is that we'd like to expand from mobile applications only because we we have pretty good BI system right now that kind of covers several dozens of key metrics of subscription applications. And it's not only applicable to mobile, but also to most of SaaS businesses. So that's that's like one of the visions. And so, as I said earlier, we'd like to, we'd like to kind of be, instead of being just the analytical service, we also want to go like one step further and be a payment provider if it will be possible from Apple and Google. And like a mission for this here for us, maybe not so long term, but also like a big one is that since we have lots of data from like all the apps that are using our platform, we may provide some insights on how to properly configure paywall or like what are the best kind of working couples of different subscription lens and stuff like that. And we'll be doing it automatically for our customers, which is in turn probably will increase the revenue even without like running lots of A-B tests. So yeah, our plan. Yeah. Amazing. I always like this next section. I call it my founder FAQ. So I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions and we'll see where we go. So here, first question is what's particularly hard about your job day to day? Lot, lot, lots of meetings and lots of things to kind of keep track of during the day and during the week in general. Lots of area of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And if another question, thinking about mobile apps and, and kind of how you're acquiring customers, what's been extremely valuable in terms of how you've been able to generate kind of kind of a go-to-market strategy? Where do you kind of, being that app developers are in so many different places, they're on forums, they're in communities, with the... What's the way that's been the most successful for your kind of go-to-market and, and business acquisition strategy? Yeah, you, you actually mentioned one. So we we manage several communities about mobile applications. And so we have like a loyal audience there. And this is by far the best way to acquire customers for us. So we're not like pushing our product there really hard. We're just trying to be helpful in terms of different questions that might appear. And every once in a while, we kind of can showcase uh, some things that we did in Adaptive with our customers, showing that how they increase the revenue and it works really well. I love that. Thinking about just apps out there, is there one or two applications that you particularly like in terms of the way that they're built, the way that they attract customers, the way that their payment structure is? Is there any app that uh, that's out there that you're a fan of in particular? Yeah, I can definitely mention Duolingo both in terms of how it's built and in terms of how it like monetizes itself. It's very, I, I mean, I mean, it's, a, it, it's very unique way that you don't kind of try to build, to build customers for the usage, but you try to upsell 
like certificates and stuff like that. And it works really well for them. And apart from that, well, I mean, Blinkist uh, was the app that made some break for like break things in mobile subscriptions industry. The paywall is kind of very famous in, in the industry. So yeah, I guess uh, kudos to them too. Apart from that, uh, I, I mean, I have some subscriptions, obviously like Spotify or YouTube premium, but there's no special about how they do it. It's just that they have really good product and we're happy to pay yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any app that you're currently not working with that you would like to work with? I, I, I guess, I mean, if you'd like me to, to pick one, I would go with, let me think real quick. Well, probably some of the games, for example, I am a big fan of Brawl Stars. It would be cool to kind of land them among the customers. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about your journey as a founder, what's something that you're particularly good at now that you wish you were better at early on in, as a founder? Delegation. So that was like a really big issue for me for many years. And I guess only a year and a half ago, I started uh, like doing much better in this area because before that I was always concerned that something might go wrong if I don't kind of go there and check everything in details. And only like when I really realized that there is no way around it, if we'd like to scale the company, it kind of moved from there. And like for the, during last year, we grow from 14 to more than 50 employees. And this was in part like because of I and my partners were able to delegate like lots of important things. Yeah. And what in particular, when you think about that, that growth, what was something that, one thing that you mentioned in the notes before the call was that you had been bootstrapped up to a certain point. I think it was, it's either this year or later last year that you went the VC route and sought out funding. What was kind of the decision maker for your team to need that influx of, of capital to be able to scale and grow? What in particular was kind of the signal you saw that it was then time to kind of, you know, interject funding and, and start going that route? What in particular led you to make that decision? Yeah. Well, the thing is we kind of, we would not mind to get an investment from the first day. It was just not that easy for us back then. And so that's why we decided to bootstrap because we had like enough money to start. And then once we saw some initial traction from our customers, we just went to several good like investors in our network right away, showed them the numbers explained the vision and it was more than enough for us. So we did not uh, try to bootstrap it the whole time. It was just to kind of jumpstart to get to the point yeah. where we can get good proposals from investors. Yeah. And what did you invest a lot of that in? It was it building team, building product, expanding to new markets. What in particular were you excited to, to put that capital towards? Yeah, like pre-seed was only about product development. So we hired more people, engineers mostly. And then the second round, like seed round, it was mostly focused around building the sales team. And yeah, it, it was basically happening during last year. Still lots of things to kind of learn there, but so far it looks like we're on the right track. It's incredible, Kira. I'm so excited to to ask you this next question. I love how founders extract knowledge out of anything that they ingest. Whether it's early in your career or now, what books or people have influenced you the most? Yeah, that's a good one. So I, I, I'm a big fan of Tim Urban. This is the guy who leads Wade But Why. 
And he has like yeah. lots of different articles on many different topics. And I also like read quite a bit of non nonfiction. And I, I think it was like sometimes very insightful. I'm, I'm also really inspired of Elon Musk was a big fan of him, like for many years. I'm not following him, him that close right now, but I still think that he's like one of the greatest businessmen and like inventors in the world. As for the books, like from my area, well, I guess some of the technical books uh, or even courses like about the programming, C multiple CS courses from Harvard and MIT and what else? High output management. That's like, I guess, really a classic, uh, classical book. A good one from zero to one, also really nice. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't think there, there were like one book that made uh, the difference for me, uh, for, for me, but uh, mostly, uh, actually, I, I will also tell you that, uh, like reading Twitter, it's uh, pretty cool because lots of entrepreneurs and top-notch investors are talking there to each other and it's just really interesting to kind of read it through and understand yeah. how they like different situations and uh, so it's it's really nice i love that and here last little bit i want to make sure we didn't leave anything on the table is there any question i didn't ask you that i should have or anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to to touch on before we end here anything that we left on the table today yeah well i guess just like as a small piece for me that if you work with mobile applications and if you have some like issues scaling or just touching up don't be afraid. There are lots of resources out there and uh, it is a good time, as I said earlier, to be in this business. I guess that's it. Yeah. 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 Last little bit here is, is what, give us our audience, your, your plugs, where's your LinkedIn, what's your Twitter, where can we find you? Be not only a supporter of what you're doing at Adapti, but a fan of you as a founder, where can we find you and get in touch? Uh, yeah, well, I, I have like a tech at K Patechian pretty much everywhere. So you can find me on LinkedIn as Kirill Patechian, or you can just Google it. I will probably pop up there or K Patechian. I guess we can just highlight it somehow in Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere else. LinkedIn as well. Yeah, we'll put in the show and make sure people can reach out. But Kirill, it's been such a pleasure not only learning about your early experience, how you kind of conceived the idea out of another application that you were building. And then how you've been able to help developers really scale their applications in ways that challenge their revenue models, test different things that will attract either more customers or help them, them convert their customers. It's exciting to see what kind of capabilities you're bringing to the table for these developers and, and where your, your position is in helping companies scale and grow. So I'm excited to see where you go from here. And thank you again for being on the show. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Thanks a lot, Julian. It was really nice talking to you.